Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not to entertain, but educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Chip Kramer. If there's one thing we've learned over the last four years, it's that when the president tweets something that causes the stock market to go down, sell, 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 sell. it's a mistake to sell. This president hates being blamed for lower stock prices. So when he tweets something that crushes the market, like putting a kibosh in the stimulus negotiation yesterday, you have to expect a second tweet storm where he either reverses himself or offsets some of the damage. And that's what happened last night with the Dow surge 531 points today. S&P gained 1.74%. Nasdaq vaulted 1.88%. His tweet breathing new life into the stimulus talks created the biggest surge since July. House of pleasure. Uh, led by the airlines, after Trump urged aid to them. And that's not the only certainty in Washington. We know the Democrats in the House Judiciary Committee and even some Republicans did something big today. Hey, they want to take some, they want to break up some big tech. It's some of our favorite stocks. I'm going to defend them. See, the House is concerned because uh, they think they've got monopoly power. My Lord, we cannot get away from Washington even for a minute. Now, let me just say flat out, I don't like monopolies. They're bad. They make great investments, though, but they're toxic to free enterprise because they cut the heart out of the small and medium-sized businesses. Remember, our whole system is based on competition. Without it, big business has no incentive to improve. But are Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet really monopolies? Oh, I'm not convinced. There's no doubt that these companies have gotten a lot more powerful, but that's because they're creating incredible things. We can't live without them. While they've crushed some competitors, they've also created entire industries that are filled with small businesses. And look, when it comes to destroying smaller operators, well, I gotta tell you, nothing these companies have done comes close to the lockdowns earlier this year, where some businesses were deemed essential and others were pretty much allowed to go under. When this pandemic's over, the fact that state and local governments anointed Costco, great numbers tonight, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, while the feds didn't do enough to bail out small businesses, well, I would do more to wreck these independent players than anything Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, or Apple have ever even dreamed of doing. 
And they don't dream of it, by the way. They're competitive, but they're not, they're not apocalyptic. We are in the middle of a small business apocalypse, though, right now. That's not the fault of big tech, but, but, but that's who Washington focuses on. They're so easy to pick on, right? Rich people, whatever. So what's this really about? You know what? It's right there in the preamble of the judiciary report, if you bother to read it, which nobody does because it's really long. And it's a quote. It says, nearly a century ago, Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis wrote, we must make our choice. We may have democracy or we may have wealth concentrated in the hands of the few, but we cannot have both. Brandeis. That sounds like socialism to you. Well, that's not quite it. See, Brandeis represented an older tradition of democratic politics in the party, one that went out of style in the 70s and 80s when the government embraced deregulation. It's not about bashing the rich so much as it's about Congress having more control over commerce. As Brandeis and his latter-day followers see it, some things are just too important to be left up to private enterprise. Look, I've read a lot of Brandeis. Brandeis is a capitalist, but he's worried about it. He's worried about the role of government and not being uh, strong enough. It's a pretty radical break with the status quo over the past 40-odd years, though. I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. And I'm not going to defend Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Alphabet uh, on the basis of laissez-faire economics. That's not me. But I've got an equally unorthodox argument for why we should allow big tech to keep operating relatively unimpeded. See, these companies, these companies are America's national champions. Every other industrialized nation is some version of this big business that gets favorable uh, treatment from the government because they make the whole country more competitive with the rest of the world. And for us, that's big tech. You know, there was a time when America had lost its economic dominance in nearly everything. At Japan's height in 1989, we had packaged food, think Heinz ketchup. This was what we did best. This. Other than this and some pills, the United States was a pitiful, helpless giant. (laughs) Then along came the Internet revolution, the rise of e-commerce, the ascension of the smartphone, and finally social media, personified by Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook. These companies have created riches beyond belief, both for themselves and their shareholders. I think we should let them keep doing that. I told you to buy all four stocks at much, 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 much lower levels. I make mistakes. I own them. But I am proud of these picks. And there's nothing stopping you from continuing to do just that. What about the charge that these companies are exercising monopoly power to wreck their competitors? Let's start with Facebook, which also owns Instagram. Now, they got a heck of a lot of market share, but can you really describe them as a social media monopoly when there's TikTok, Twitter, Snap, Pinterest, and they keep grabbing users? I don't think so. What about small businesses who advertise on Facebook? Are they bled, being bled dry? Listen, not that long ago, I orchestrated a panel to help small business with my guest, noted entrepreneur and old friend, Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. When he was asked the cheapest way to make your small business take off, what did he say? He said you should advertise on Facebook and Instagram. They're much cheaper and more targeted than any other kind of marketing. Now, you could argue that's not fair to other advertising platforms, but I say those other platforms should get their darn acts together if they want to stay competitive. Now, I have seen Facebook help literally millions of businesses. In many cases, it's the reason why many of these small and medium-sized outfits are successful, and they are ambassadors for Facebook. It's a huge positive. Hobbling Facebook could hobble its customers. You know what it's like? It's like the movie Misery. Second, Apple. Sure, they take a cut of everything that happens on their app store. But the Apple ecosystem has created millions of jobs in the software. Millions! Millions! As CEO Tim Cook, as CEO Tim Cook told it, 
told the Judiciary Committee over the summer, if Apple is a gatekeeper, what we have done is open the gate wider. We want to get every app we can on the store and not keep them off. Take it from me. I used to help run the street.com. When we made our app, we ignored Apple. <laughs> Stupid. Didn't want them to have to pay the 30. We didn't want to pay the 30% for new readers. Total failure. Access to Apple's app store is worth every penny and then some. That's why the, the company's service revenue is so robust. They're making their clients vast amounts of money. Hey, do you think it would be doing well if the clients hated it? If the customers hated it? I mean, wake up and smell the darn coffee. Third, Amazon. This is a tougher sell, okay? Because Amazon's steadily taking over retail. But you know what? I think it's telling that so many retailers use Amazon Web Services rather than going with non-competitors, Google Cloud or Microsoft's Azure. Some people think that you have to be on Amazon to get your small business going, but that's not even true. There's no monopoly there. We got our friends at Etsy. That stock never quits. How about Shopify, which we liked at $80? What is that, like 1000 and something? I mean, give me a break, okay? Now, uh, it, they, these have upended the, uh, the Amazon ecosystem, the low end. On the cloud side, Amazon Web Services cut its prices relentlessly. They just keep cut prices. Now, you can argue that they're doing predatory pricing, but... Who are their competitors? Microsoft and Alphabet, they can afford to lose a couple of shekels. It's not like they're going to fold if Amazon applies too much pressure. When, they three, when three big companies control an entire industry, it's a good sign when they're competing on price. And they are. It's not a slap-happy oligopoly. Finally, there's Alphabet. Hmm. Between Google Search and YouTube and maybe Google Cloud? Hey, maybe you could make the case they're too close to be a monopolist for comfort. I say fine. You know what would happen if the government breaks up Alphabet? And stock could go higher. The SOTP, also known as some of the parts, is worth so much more than the stock sell for right now. I say, bring on the scalpel. Bring on the hatchet. Wall Street would absolutely pay more for Google Search, Google Cloud, Google Health, YouTube, and the self-driving car businesses as separate. Oh, Amo. Honestly, the same argument goes for Amazon. If the government wants to make them spin off Amazon Web Services, which would be terrible, I say bring it on, though, if you want to own the stock. I mean, I told you to buy the stock yesterday. It was down 100. I said, just go buy it. It was like up 94. Bottom line. The time these big tech stocks get hit by some bad headlines from the House Judiciary Committee is the time you have to buy them. Those guys want to come watch Mad Money. I mean, they wasted all that time making all those interviews. I've got to save them. I've got to save the government fortune. Regardless of who uh, wins the oh, that's, they print money. Regardless of who wins the White House next month, they're not going to roll back 40 years of antitrust. Plus, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook could credibly argue that they are our national champions that help small businesses thrive. That's a compelling argument. Hey, guys, you watch this. Make that argument, will you? It's smarter than the ones you're making. It's the thing that can make us money and the thing that can keep us proud. Why don't we start with Daniel in Florida? Daniel. Jimbo. Yo, yo. Jimbo, I want to know about QSR. I know you had them on the show a few months back, and I feel like I haven't heard anything from them since. Obviously, Domino's and Chipotle have been juggernauts. And uh, I had QSR in my uh, in my portfolio, and I just wanted to know: is it worth? Well, they kind of like to? they become the one that people don't think of. You know, Wendy's is my favorite in that side. I was talking to you know to Carl this morning. We think McDonald's is going to have an amazing quarter, but it's Chipotle. Hey, you know, when they put Bar San Miguel out of business, what you do is you go about 15 blocks, you go to Chipotle. Everyone goes to Chipotle. Everybody. I like the bowl. I don't want the chicken. Okay, when we order them, I don't want the chicken. I'm trying to look good. Chris in Florida. Chris. Hey, Jim. It's great to be talking with you. I've been following you since you saved me a ton of money with that Stark Industries tip, so I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. I had a question. I wanted to get your opinion on a company I've been following for several years now. They're Pacific Ethanol Incorporated. 
Uh, the ticker symbol P E I. Oh, because what? Was, was uh, Microsoft? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this stock has just yeah, had an amazing move, an amazing move, Chris. And I don't know why. You know what? The one that I've been championing of the, of the alternate power plays is Plug. And holy cow, Plug is the one that I'm. I'm sticking with Plug. I'm still with Plug. I'm not trying. I'm not getting off the Plug horse. No, ride them, partner. All aboard. All right. Look, the next time these big tech stocks get hit because it's something from Washington where they're a little out of their legs, but that's okay. Why don't you give me a subpoena, all right? Buy them. Oh, man, money tonight. I think this, I think that senator owes an apology to me. Um, big Denim is doing big data. I'm sitting down with CEO of Levi's after earning, the committee owes me an apology. Uh, after Levi's earnings to find out how it's leveraging technology to help power the company higher. And COVID-19 cases are ticking up in half the country. What does that mean for the testing labs? Hey, and the NFL, you want to hear that, believe me. Even you at ESPN. And Exact Science's stock has rallied more than 40% over the past month. Can that move continue? I'm going to talk to the CEO. I would stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference. Pursue your dreams of business ownership and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Are Americans finally buying jeans again after about a half year of being stuck at home? Last night, Levi Strauss, that's the iconic jeans maker, reported a simply fantastic quarter. We're, ta- we're talking over $1 billion in sales. Wall Street was only looking for a little more than $800 million. There's a nice upside surprise. Company earning $0.08 cents a share. But guess what? The street was looking for a $0.22 cent loss. How did Levi's do it? Well, they made some major investments in the direct-to-consumer operation, which is allowing them to take market share all over the place. Even better, management gave you strong commentary about September sales. Guidance for next quarter was excellent. No wonder the stock surged 5% today on top of a big rally over the past few weeks. And I don't want to gloss over it. There were so many things that went right this quarter. We got to talk about as many as we can. So can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Chip Berg. He's the president and CEO of Levi Strauss and Company. Learn more about the quarter and what he sees going into the holidays. Mr. Berg, welcome back to Mad Money. Booyah. Good to be here, Chip. Booyah. Good to be talking with you. Okay. All right. So, Chip, uh, how did the uh, pandemic impact the denim category? What kind of behavioral changes did you see and what are they and are they lasting? Well, the pandemic has changed a whole lot of things from a consumer standpoint, Jim, but 
definitely one of the trends that we've seen as a result of the pandemic, and it's kind of very intuitive, is just an acceleration of the trend towards casualization. Um, total apparel sales since the pandemic have been somewhat depressed, um, but Denim's share of uh, total apparel has stayed very, very strong. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the rise of athleisure, everybody's walking around in yoga tights or loungewear, and the reality is that denim is still bigger than athleisure. And, uh, and we are, we define denim. We're by far, Levi's is the number one brand globally. We're number one on men's, on a global basis, and we're also number one on women's. So, uh, and during the quarter, this trend towards casualization, we had, despite the fact that our total revenues were down for the quarter, we did have pockets of growth. And those pockets of growth included things like women's shorts. The women's shorts business was up double digits. Our total U.S. women's wholesale business grew double digits this past quarter. And our women's bottoms business on a global basis drove 50% of uh, the total online growth that we, that we saw this past quarter. And our online business was up more than 50%. Uh, as a percentage of our, our business. Well, so we got to um, talk really about that. strong results. We got to talk about that, Chip, because when we were out there, you talked about personalization. I got my Mad Money jacket on, of course. You talked about direct awesome. to consumer. You said it, it could happen. It seems like the pandemic has accelerated your plans for what could be done. Yeah, the pandemic has compressed what might have taken five or 10 years, and it's compressed it into a very, very short window. And I have to say the acceleration of our e-commerce business has been one of the beneficiaries of that. We've been very focused strategically. Direct-to-consumer has been very important for us, both brick-and-mortar stores and e-commerce. We've been investing a lot in e-commerce over the last couple of years and also building out omni-channel capabilities. But during the pandemic, we put those capabilities uh, into hyperdrive and rolled out in a very short period of time capabilities like order online and we ship from our stores, which helps us manage our inventory. So when our stores were closed, the store managers were actually in our stores filling e-commerce orders, and that helped us manage our inventory during the pandemic. Um, order online pickup curbside is a big thing for consumers now. A lot of consumers are still very reluctant to go into stores, and our, our general e-commerce business has really thrived. Um, we had our fastest quarter of growth in e-commerce. It was 8%. Our owned and operated e-commerce business was 8% of our total business, which is more than double what it was a year ago at this point in time. Wow. Our total digital sales, which includes all the pure plays like Amazon and Tmall and Wholesale.com, uh, represented almost a quarter of our total business this past quarter. And that also was double versus a year ago. And I think it's going to be sticky. I mean, 70% of the consumers that came to Levi.com this last quarter were first-time shoppers on Levi.com. And I think consumer behavior, this is one thing that's going to stick. It, it may not stick at this level as a percentage of our total business because our retail brick-and-mortar sales, sales are still depressed. But we're going to see uh, our e-commerce e business continue to grow. And the last important thing I would add about our e-commerce business is we're profitable a year ahead of schedule, despite all of the accelerated investments that well, we've been That's made. fabulous. Now, uh, one of uh, uh, my associates here, producer Heather Gaines, says that all the secondhand jeans that you could find are gone. And then we start reading about level Levi's secondhand. Are you guys buying up jeans? Because this secondhand is a hit. 
We, um, you know, this is very big with Gen Z in particular. They want to go to a thrift shop, buy their Levi's there, wear it for a week, take their Instagram photos, and then they re-thrift it. And this, the circular economy is very, very important to them. And obviously, it's a very strong sustainability thing. So, and Levi's is one of the top brands in, this, in the secondhand market, if you will. That, that industry, the secondhand thrifting industry, is about $30 billion in sales right now, projected to grow to $60 billion over the next couple of years. It's on fire. And, and we really are, are positioned to win in this. So we are now taking back used Levi's from consumers in our stores. We'll give them a gift card towards a purchase of a new pair of Levi's. And we're doing it for trucker jackets, jeans, you know, any denim item, and um, and then we're recycling it and reselling it and creating a marketplace for used Levi's. Well, and there is definitely a marketplace this for This sounds it. like and, something and, could be, this, this could be great for the holiday season. It sounds like you're ready for a good holiday yeah. season. We are. Um, you know, we're, we're um, actually, we've been managing our inventory so tightly. My biggest fear is that we might not have enough product. But problem. as a brand guy, that's a pretty good thing. Shortage, shortages are a good thing for a brand. Um, and we're actually chasing in a number of parts of the world right now to make sure that we do have enough. But this holiday season is going to be unlike any holiday we've ever seen before, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Uh, we have to limit the number of consumers that come into our stores. We have lines sometimes in front of our stores. We built a capability where you can kind of make a reservation to come in and shop wow. in our stores. But we're ready. And I think holiday is going to start earlier this year. Right. Um, you know, as you know, Amazon Prime Days are next week. And I think that's really going to kick off the holiday season. So holidays right. can be pulled earlier. Um, hopefully it's going to be less promotional in the early days. We'll see. We'll see if that sticks. Many retailers have closed for no, for Thanksgiving, including us. Um, and uh, I think that creates a revenue hole for everybody that they're going to have to fill. And, and most folks are going to try to fill that hole before right. Thanksgiving. Well, we're going to have to roll, but Chip, I want to compliment you. We watched the time to vote. Uh, you're struck, st- unbelievably stark, fabulous video, urging people to go out to vote at all levels. Congratulations for that. Well, I would have done a whole show Super just about what you did there, Chip. Super you proud care. Of that. Thanks, Jim. Great Chip, talking with you. You got to watch this time to vote video that he did. It's uh, it's extraordinary. If you take one thing away, watch that video and then go buy some of these. Chip Berg, President and CEO, Levi Strauss and Company. Stick with Kramer. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com meetingdemand meeting demand. 
might not know it if, uh, from looking at the action, but we got some devastating news today. More COVID cases in the NFL. After the first COVID-related game suspension last week, courtesy of an outbreak among the Tennessee Titans, today we learned that at least two more Titans tested positive. It's a long time now. That puts their game, possibly even their whole season, in jeopardy. Meanwhile, Stephon Gilmore, the star quarterback, one of the greatest defensive players in the game from the Patriots, tested positive, and he just played against Kansas City on Monday. He even hugged the league's reigning MVP, Patrick Mahomes, who just apologized for doing so. Yikes! What's the NFL's plan to contain this mini-outbreak? Regular viewers know we have an inside line to Bioreference Labs, one of my favorite companies, the division of Opco Health. That's Dr. Phil Frost's company that's got the contract to do COVID monitoring for the NFL, along with the NBA and Major League Soccer bubbles. Less important than football or basketball, they're doing the same thing for some of the federal agencies and local governments. So now that the NFL is seeing some real cases, not just false pauses like they had in August, let's catch up with Dr. John Cohen. He's the executive chairman of Bioreference Laboratories and a senior vice president at its parent company, Opco Health. Dr. Cohen, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks very much, Jim. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Okay, so, John, I think there must be a lot of misconceptions or things that are wrong. Some things aren't adding up. Can, I, can you just give me the straight story about what's occurring in the world that you see it? Sure. So, first of all, as you said, we just finished almost 150,000 tests for the NBA as they're in their finals with almost a zero percentage uh, rate of COVID infections. And that's a very different model, as you know. They're in a bubble. They don't let many people in and out, and they're testing, and all their protocols are very vigorous. The NFL also has amazingly vigorous protocols. The difference is, of course, is they're not in a bubble for all 32 teams in the 30 cities that we're testing. We've tested for the NFL about 453,000, almost half a million tests. And now what you see is you see a couple of people, a couple of players that are beginning to test uh, positive. And I don't think anybody thinks that's, that's unusual. It's just part of what happens when you have this much testing going on and uh, some people with some added exposure. I want to address what you talked about in terms of what some people have been calling false positives. They're not false positives. What they are is what we call presumptive positives. And then what that means is that these tests are highly, highly sophisticated and very, very sensitive. So sometimes what we do is we pick up essentially borderline tests that it could be positive, it could be negative. So what we do is we tell the team that it looks like this player may or may not be positive, hold them out, of, hold them out for the next four hours of practice and any exposure, and we rerun the tests. And invariably on these, what we call presumptive positives, it turns out they, they actually, most of them come out to be negative. So it's another thing that we put in place. It's another protocol we put in place to absolutely try and keep the players and the staff as safe as possible. Oh. They're not false negatives, though. They're actually, okay. they're actually positive because they may have, have had a little exposure here and there. But the fact is, is that they, most of them end up being negative. One thing I'm astonished, the Titans, they, I think they tested Saturday before that game. I don't think they tested Sunday. They tested Monday. Now, I guess we really do have to wait 14 days. I mean, this is day 10 for the Titans, and two more came up. I mean, so that's not a wives' tale. This must be 14 days. And when you get someone, when you get a bunch of guys on one game that come down, you can't schedule them for two. You may have to wait two games. Well, it, that's right. It depends on what the testing shows. We're, as you probably know, we started out testing the NFL. We've gone from three days to five days to six days. And, uh, and just, you know, it uh, looks like we're going to end up testing them every single day uh, for the rest of the season. The so morning that of the game, get... you're going to start doing that. What? Say that again? The Sorry. morning of the game, you're going to start testing. No, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna test. What we'll do is 
we will test the morning of the game. We won't get that result until the next day, right. but we'll have had result from the day before for the day of the game. Wow. So that we have, so essentially when you do it sequentially, when you get into this, this rhythm that we're in with the NFL, by testing every single day, you have results that are, you know, as accurate as you could get within the, within the 24 hour period, if not sooner, where most of our teams, just, so you know, are getting results within the 12, actually within the 12 to 18 hour term. Well, but John, so they how can they, pretty time how, do you think they're going to be able to do a whole season? I think it's, I, let me tell you, the protocols the NFL have put in place are unbelievably amazing. I mean, they're, they, the players, the staff, they are very serious about this. They, this is, they, they know what they need to do. They follow the protocols they could do, they do as best they can. They've, as you know, they put video cameras in place now to make sure that they're watching people, that they do the protocols that need to happen. So they, the players, the, everybody knows that there's a huge amount of risk. You can't be 100% protective in any environment. But they're getting pretty close, I can tell you. As I said, we've tested, you know, almost a half a million players at this point. Tests have been, uh, to date, the rate is extraordinarily low okay. compared to the rest of the general well, population. John, when you hear, like, the, the Bedminster fundraiser for the president, aren't you just kind of, like, you cringe when they say, oh, the guy tested negative the next day? I mean, we got Titans testing positive day 10. Shouldn't we just keep our mouths shut and say we're on protocol? Uh, listen, I'm not obviously not going to comment about what they should or shouldn't do. I, I will make an observation, though, is if you look at the the uh, the drugs that the president on, I just want to call out that he is on vitamin D. And the reason I want to talk about vitamin D for a second is, uh, as you mentioned, Opco is our holding company. Opco has the only drug it's called Reality that's in market that actually increases your vitamin D, vitamin D without having to take it externally. We've just entered into a clinical trial approved by the FDA to look at whether or not Reality is effective for, for our patients with COVID by increasing their vitamin D. Obviously, I don't have the results of that yet, but it's a very significant the factor in terms of protecting people from COVID as they have the disease, well, and we'll see what happens. With I was going to ask you, because I talked to Doc, you know, I was going back and forth emailing Dr. Frost this week uh, from Octo, right. and he was telling me, listen, you got to talk about this world, D, because the people who die, they have a deficiency in vitamin D. This is what people should be taking. I don't understand why people aren't talking about it. Well, they, uh, they, they should be talking about that, They're, you know, and obviously the, the other drugs that are coming on market. But reality may, be, you know, may end up being a pretty big deal. Uh, well, we won't get the results for the trial for a while yet, uh, but the trial just started, uh, and we'll see what the results show. But vitamin D could be very protective. I think it's, you know, my doctor immediately said, Jim, I hope you're taking 2,000 at least to get in on that test. Right. Dr. John Cohen, he's executive right. you chairman. Know, of you know, Jim, we're, uh, but, sorry, you know we're about to test for the New York City public schools, by the way. We oh, just that's about, great. I didn't know you had that contract. Good, maybe those schools yeah, we're gonna will test. Well, we're going to do over 100,000 kids, uh, looks like, at least every month, if not every every week. Better the than the, the, right better than the uh, Abbott Binax? Oh, yeah, this is this is full PCR in the lab within wow. a 24-hour turnaround. This is not point of care. All right. Thank you so much. Dr. John Cohen, who knows more about this stuff than anyone in the country. He's executive chairman of Bioreference Labs, did the NBA, doing the NFL. You heard the protocols are tough, but there's just so many people. Man Money's back after the break. Look at Exact Sciences Run. Here's a diagnostics company. It's been one of the great long-term growth stories in healthcare. 
thanks to ColorGuard. That's their non-invasive test that screens for colorectal cancer via a stool sample instead of a colonoscopy. This stock lost some of its mojo last year. Then COVID hit, and it plummeted to 35 at the March lows. Since then, though, exact science has made an incredible comeback. Two weeks ago, it was in the mid-70s. It's now 108. In addition to coming up with their own COVID test, the game changer for these guys came in late September when they rolled out positive data for their multi-cancer liquid biopsy test. A liquid biopsy, can you imagine? If Exact can get this test approved, it will massively expand the total addressable market. Plus today, Pfizer agreed to extend the promotion agreement for ColorGuard, uh, which allows the stock to attack on another 4.5%. But even up here, it's more than 10 points away from last year's all-time high. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the stock is more upside. Let's check in with Kevin Conroy. He's the chairman and CEO of Exact Sciences. Get a better sense of all these new positives. Mr. Conroy, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us on. And uh, you're right. We are on track to develop a whole new way of screening for cancer, one from a simple blood draw, and I'm excited to talk with you about that today. Well, you have to because we're now, you're now tackling silent cancers. You're tackling things that we don't know to look for, but we do, if we catch them early enough, have a chance to live. It's rather extraordinary what you're doing. Yeah, you know, uh, cancer is the number two killer in the U.S., 600,000 people a year, and most of the cancers are not screened for. So you find them when they're later stage. And you know then, then it's surgery and chemotherapy and really expensive drugs with bad outcomes. And so the whole goal to, to, to change the whole way that cancer is treated is to detect early. And a simple blood draw can be the answer. And the science is now there. So I'm confident about what the, the future is going to be very, very different. And we are going to lead the way. Now, I know, Kevin, that there have been people who have tried this and the false positives, the false negatives have been so overwhelming that the, the medical community has been unwilling to try it. Yours is more precise? We believe it will be. And that's the, why we were so excited about the data that we presented two weeks ago, is that that data, those data show across six cancers, the ability to detect 84 percent of cancers with a very low false positive Great. Now, that's early data. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, but we're the company that has done this before with ColoGuard. Uh, and you know the story there. There were a lot of doubters along the way. Right. You are not one of them. And uh, the same team can do the same thing for multi-cancer screening as, as we have done for colon cancer. Well, I think you've got to talk about what you're doing about the, the America's fourth deadliest cancer. The breast cancer results are extraordinary that you've got here. Yeah. Well, it's again, the, the data are early, right. but the ability to, to detect across a range of cancers, Jim. And that's why it's, you know, today we screen for breast cancer with mammography, but we don't screen for pancreatic cancer or liver cancer uh, or stomach cancer, just a range of other cancers. And that's where the real power comes from, because believe it or not, Three or four out of 100 people over the age of 50 are walking around with cancer. They don't know it. And when it presents, it typically presents late stage when it's not very treatable. So the whole idea here is the power of detection, detecting early. Well, you know, there was a really tragic story about a great actor, Chadwick Boseman, uh, who just passed away of colorectal cancer. He's a young man. I now also must believe that 
Uh, there are areas and parts that underserve people, people who don't uh, have the awareness they need. And that one was really stark, Kevin. I mean, he was a young man. A young man, and, and colon cancer is affecting people much earlier. Nobody really knows why. Um, and his story just, um, it was so powerful. He went years without telling anybody about what he was fighting. And we want to end that. We want to be able to provide people with access to screening all across the country. Cologuard, you know, during a pandemic, you can do a Cologuard test in the privacy of your own home. And if, you're, if you haven't been screened, then you, you've got to talk to your doctor and not be embarrassed or ashamed of just taking care of your own health. Well, that's, let's go over that because you, the call, I mean, I've had the colonoscopy. You go to the hospital I mean, you're there. Um, it, it, it's quite frightening to go candidly. I don't want to scare people. But it's, cra- it's frightening to go to a hospital right now, even though the local hospital uh, in some New Jersey is only one. There's only one uh, case of covid. I always feel and I've been to NYU a bunch of times. I don't feel safe at a hospital. So I certainly don't want to do a colonoscopy if I can do uh, your at home test. It, and that's why non-invasive screening is so so powerful. You can get an at-home test. If the test is positive, then you need to go get a colonoscopy. And even then, the odds are that maybe you have a polyp or a precancerous polyp uh, and not cancer. But at least you are taking control and not – look, if, if you don't get screened and, you're, and you are detected with uh, colon cancer, most likely it's going to be late stage. And nobody wants to have late stage colon cancer. And then, Kevin, tell you, uh, and more uh, work with Pfizer. I mean, you know, Pfizer is one of the largest companies on earth. I, I remember when that you were on when that deal first occurred. That's a nice verification again of what you're doing. Yeah, you know, uh, Jim, since we announced that partnership, they've helped us screen now four and a half million people. It's just the start. The key thing is, we want to partner with Pfizer to get to 40 million people screened. We know we can do that. And they have been, um, Pfizer has been amazing, truly amazing at educating doctors. 200,000 doctors and nurses have ordered Colgard in the U.S. Oh. That is, uh, it's remarkable progress. And we're really appreciative of that partnership and the continuation of it through 2022. Um, what's your perspective on, on uh, COVID testing? You know, one of the amazing things is this middle of March, the team came together and said, we need to develop a COVID test to help keep our community safe and our employees safe. And since then, and we brought a test up and we have tested hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people um, all in all 50 states. I, I don't know if I've ever been more proud of being part of a company that has been able to do that. And um, I've seen that across so many other diagnostic companies have sprung into action to help out. That's the way that we're going to get through this is wearing masks and getting tested yes. and contact tracing. There is a path forward. Well, look, I, a lot of people were skeptical, not me, because I just felt that you just had it. Now I see these other cancers. I had a feeling that you'd be the one. I know Lumina says they've got something. There's a lot of people have tried, but your numbers, your percentages, I know it's early. Make me a believer again. Kevin Conroy, Chairman, President, CEO of Exact Science. It's always great to see you. Thanks, Jim. We won't let you down. Ah, you haven't yet. E-X-A-S. Mad Money's back in for the break. It is time. It's time for the 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski that is over the lightning round is over. Nick in New Hampshire. Nick. Hey Jim, thanks for taking my call today. Oh, you're quite welcome. I'm curious about Weight Watchers. Too episodic for this man. Too episodic. I'll be walking down the street and you said, oh, I ain't told me to buy Weight Watchers. Is it 15? No, it's too hard. It's too hard. I'm going to have to say no. Let's go to Brian in Missouri. Brian. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Oh, booyah back. Hey, I'm a longtime fan, first-time caller, and grateful for you and the service you provide to the investment community. I'd like to personally thank you for having a positive impact on my mother and my portfolio, which are up nicely here today. And I'd like to give a shout-out to my mother, Bertha, nine-time cancer survivor, who's 80 wow. and still has things to do. Here are uh, a now, lot the of stock people. I'd like to talk to you about is the Tanker Factory Outlet, SKT. The, re- uh, the uh, actual, believe it or not, the rents paid were actually better than they were previously, but I am recommending no malls whatsoever because I don't want people to get hurt. I need Steve in Texas. Steve! Jim, such a pleasure to be on your show. Oh, thank you, Steve. Jim, I own a, a variety of dividend stocks in my portfolio, okay. and I've been looking for some diversification. Some of my friends have told me, you really need to have some kind of gold play. So I found a stock, Kinross Gold Corporation, that was recommended. I like Kinross. It's not as good as Barrick. Uh, It may not be as good as Newmont. Franco Nevada might be better. I I like FNV. That's more of a gold conglomerate. But but, uh, they're all better than the one you have. I'm sorry. No offense to Kinross. It's good, but the others are better. I need to go to Evan in California. Evan. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Evan. What's going on? Checking in from sunny San Francisco. My question is about one of the largest EMOs uh, providing e-learning and hybrid services to schools in the U.S. government. K-12 has been slowly bleeding out. People like K-12. People like K-12. A lot of interest in that stock. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, It feels like Chegg did in like in the 30s. It's an interesting call that you've got there. Let's go to Eli in New Jersey. Eli, this is probably Eli Manning. This down the block from me. Eli? How's Abby? Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Jim. Go Eagles. I'm an you, Eagles fan. First place. Can't be Eli Manning. I mean, he would never say that. He's obviously not in the HOF, this guy. What's going on? Hey, you know, I'm Eli talking about a data analytics and science company called Alteryx. They just Alteryx. Oh, my. Alteryx is best in show. And they just had a pinout. an unbelievably good quarter. And I love the new CEO, but not as much. Well, Dean was the greatest, one of the great CEOs that's ever been on the show. New guy will be good, too. Uh, he was from Palo Alto Net. I like that stock. I need to go to Jim in Pennsylvania. It's probably me talking to myself. Jim. Hey, Jim. Uh, welcome. Uh, greetings from uh, beautiful Bucks County. Oh, uh, well, you know uh, I lived in Doylestown. Uh, outside of Doylestown. All right. Blue Do you know what to Central Bucks West? Do you know what to Central Bucks West? Pink. Uh, my, kid, my kids went to eat. All right. CB, I never really tripped me in a, in a race. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, my, my question is about uh, Sunrun. Solar energy, it's a winner. I'm in favor. Doesn't matter. Because the president put tariffs on the Chinese. They're no longer dumping our stu- their stuff on us. And I like that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Raise ipsa loquitur. That's a Latin phrase. 
I learned it back in law school. Probably the only thing I did learn in law school. It always stuck with me, and thanks in part to episodes of Law & Order. It means the thing speaks for itself. Raise ipsa loquitur. That's what I think when I look at how the people of South Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Singapore reacted to the COVID-19 pandemic. These were all countries where the government encouraged or enforced strict mask wearing to stop the spread of the virus literally from next door, mainland China. Numbers are pretty stark. Let me give you some. Hong Kong's population is 7.45 million. They had just 5,143 cases and 105 deaths. There were 11 new cases yesterday. New York City, roughly the same size, we had 500 new cases. Singapore is a country of 5.64 million. They were late to masking, but early to testing. They had only 57,840 cases, but, but they had 27 deaths. That's it. Part because they've got a great healthcare system. They had 10 new cases yesterday. Taiwan's bigger. Get this, 24 million people. And in recent years, they've had a lot more travel daily to mainland China. Didn't matter. Taiwan's had 523 cases total, seven deaths. Yesterday, they had three new cases. Finally, there's South Korea, a fairly big country, roughly 52 million. They had 24,353 cases, 425 deaths. They had 114 new cases yesterday. By comparison, the United States has 320 million. That's right. That's how many people we've had. We've had 7.47 million cases, 211,000 deaths. Yesterday, we had more than 42,000 new cases alone. We're getting more cases in a day than some of these countries have had over the entire course of the pandemic. Raise ipsa loquitur. Those numbers speak for themselves. Now, master funny things. First of all, we know they are brutally inefficient, right? They don't really work unless really everyone's on board. They make you look funny. I mean, my wife says, hey, what is the taxi cab yours you got there? You know, the doors are open. They're supposed to be used in conjunction with social distancing. This is a Honeywell sport mask. Uh, if you can get 80% of the population to wear these, though, it does stop the virus in its tracks. Of course, these countries did other things differently. They had much more better, better testing and contact tracing right off the bat. But mainly the government said, you got to wear them. People listen. They didn't tell you you look weak or make fun of you because you were wearing them. They said, wear them. What can I say? When you consider the stats of these countries, masks obviously do work. This should not be an open question. Unfortunately, our president has such disdain for masks, and he's turned them into a cultural war issue. If Trump's resistant to wearing them after what now looks like a super spreader event, either at the White House or his country club in New Jersey, well, his true believers certainly won't wear them. Trump says it's like the flu. You don't wear a mask with the flu, right? I mean, he says he feels great. Hey, he said he feels 20 years younger. Wow. A lot of people hear that stuff and assume that not only is the virus no big deal, but it can make you 20 years longer, younger. <laughs> the president's literally on steroids right now, though. Here's what's missing. President Trump was treated with a drug that's not yet approved by the FDA, the Regeneron antibody cocktail that I believe in and told you over and over again by Regeneron because of. I'm a huge believer in this thing, but unless you're enrolled in the clinical trial or you're the president of the United States, you can't get it. Throw in a massive dose of steroids and remdesivir. I'm not surprised the president feels better. When you're the most powerful man in the world, you know what? You get world-class health care. Sooner or later, this regimen will be available to everyone, or at least everyone whose insurance will cover it, although the initial 200,000 doses will be on the house. Eli Lilly is also working on an antibody drug uh, uh, that you can take right after you're diagnosed, another cocktail. They just filed for emergency use approval for the FDA, stock up for today. You know I love that one. Once these drugs are approved and widely available, the virus will be a lot less deadly. For now, though, these medications are not on the menu. I wish the president encouraged people to enroll in Regeneron's clinical trials rather than downplaying the virus. But look, we wouldn't need these experimental antibody drugs if we just embraced masks and social distancing like every other country that's gotten COVID under control. The goal is not to end up in the hospital with huge medical bills. The goal is to avoid getting tagged in the first place. Meanwhile, we're all waiting on that vaccine, and there's been a huge amount of structural damage in our country in the interim. Many states are broke. Unemployment's still high. More than 200,000 dead. Stimulus still dead in its tracks. We should have just worn these. 
You look at those countries that border China and they've almost beaten COVID entirely. Heck, even China has it under control. That's why their second quarter GDP was up 3%, while ours was down 34%. China's beaten us. You know I don't like that. If our president wants to compete with the Chinese, which I sure wish he would, then he needs to compete on health too. They embraced masks, we didn't. And now our country's fallen way behind. The thing speaks for itself. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shep starts now. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.